Any good road trip is going to give you a good variety of experiences. As we continue on our virtual drive on the I-15, we will go through a stretch of freeway that was not only extremely costly to build, but the federal government has added it to a list of exceptionally significant portions of the freeway system. Following that, we pass the world's first KFC, yes, really, in Utah, and the old stomping grounds of America's most infamous serial murderer. You're listening to Race and Tyler Talk Wikipedia, episode 74, Salt Lake City and the Virgin River Gorge. Okay, Tyler, our get to know you question today is, as people who've been listening might have picked up, I've been watching a lot of British TV recently, (laughs) and there is a British TV show uh, that I really like, um, a, a game show. It's a trivia show, so it's right up our both of our collective alley on that but it has a the twist that i really like about it is one round of the show is you're competing against other contestants and it's general knowledge like jeopardy right like you know who was who was you know the vice president of the united states what's the capital of south africa that kind of stuff and then um but then the second portion is you select a topic and then oh, you are given questions about that. So you select the thing that you know very well. And then you, they quiz you on that. Oh, that's cool. Really cool. Yeah, I like that you it, you kind of, there's like a strategic element. You can kind of pick your topic and you got to know yourself. And so um, my question is, what would be the topic you would choose to be your personalized second half of the Mastermind TV show if you went on um, for the, the uh, trivia portion of that question of that show oh good question this show is called mastermind yeah mastermind oh i'm gonna have to watch that because that sounds great and i'll admit i've only seen cop uh, episodes of it on youtube like celebrity mastermind because british celebrities that i like have been playing on it well i was gonna say that sounds like the good version (laughs) yeah isn't that the best thing about all british tv is right celebrities yeah Exactly. So yeah, like go go watch the James A. Castor appearances on Mastermind. Uh, yeah, okay. They're excellent. He, his his topic that he picks for himself is the history of ice cream. <laughs> oh, okay. And does he, he does do really well? no. He does he does pretty bad. <laughs> oh shoot. Okay. Um, <laughs> I have so many answers to this. I have also thought of this question before as the pick your final Jeopardy topic mm-hmm. you know yep. if like if you could choose what you're gonna get for final jeopardy yep so i have considered this before um in there'll, the past... there'll probably be like 10 to 15 questions coming at you on this topic oh okay well in the past i've thought world capitals mm-hmm. those are easy to manage there's only a certain number of them you know right. and i do know most of the world capitals but right now, I'm going to say what I've been reading the most about is the Wars of the Roses in English history. Mm-hmm. So um, I will go with the Wars of the Roses. And to our listeners, we may have a Wars of the Roses series coming <laughs> at you in the near future. Because <laughs> oh, I've really been reading a lot about it. So I that's my answer. That. That's a great answer. Um, that answer reminds me of like when I do watch these British shows, you know, it's like a cliche to be like oh the british they're so sophisticated when you hear them talk but when you watch like their chat shows their talk shows and their quiz shows people are like you know referencing like well thomas Beckett once said and it's like these people are smarter than (laughs) yeah (laughs) and so you would fit right in with your war of the roses that would be a great uh, a great addition so i think for me um I have a few things like this is an interesting question because like my gut reaction is like, oh, well, I could do it on 30 Rock. I could do it on a bunch of things. But being trivia, I kind of feel like I have to pick a more. I don't know that I was surprised at some of the answers that I came up with. And full disclosure, one of the reasons that I asked this question is one of the answers that actually came to mind that this will give you a great insight into my soul, perhaps. But I think one of my one of the topics I could really just zing answers out on is uh ted bundy (laughs) oh (laughs) i I didn't know that oh yeah 
like before this episode oh yeah oh wow i'm surprised you didn't know that i oh okay i actually think i remember this i was gonna bring this up when we got got to bundy we can talk about it now but are you you're not you're not one of us then you're not one of those people who's like i read for three hours last night about jeffrey dahmer on the oh um i admire the group but (laughs) i think in practice i get too freaked out by the readings sure because I, I, mean, have, I have sometimes started down the rabbit hole. Like I've looked at Ed Gaines' Wikipedia page, mm-hmm. man who Psycho was based on. Right. Yes, I'm with you for the first paragraph, but <laughs> reading the whole thing, I'm like, I get squeamish. So that's really funny. I'd forgotten that about you. And so this, the the way this came up, the way I found that I wasn't alone was when I started working at the writing center which I kind of followed you into that. And it was one of the greatest experiences ever because it was I just the co- working there. Yeah. It was just the coolest people, people yeah. like this, this that's honestly where this podcast kind of came from. We would just uh-huh. sit around with all of these great people and they'd just be like, have you guys heard of like the first time I heard of the diet love pass incident, which we've done an episode on oh, was yeah. in that office in the JKB. And I was like, what? And so uh, I found, you know, I kind of found some kindred spirits there, but I also found, I was like, yeah, I was reading about Ted Bundy this weekend. And I kind of said it like under my breath, like, who's going to judge me? And half of the people were like, oh, that's interesting. And then like some chairs swiveled and like our eyes locked. And it was like, okay, all right. There's the group. Yeah, it was like, yeah, it was like, okay, Beth, I see you. Let's do this. <laughs> you know? Um, so, yeah, I think that's my answer. I think I could, I think I could answer a lot of trivia questions about Ted Bundy, which is a little disturbing, but you know. What are you going to do? Yeah, when you find your topic, you find your topic. Well, and I mean, I'm I'm just one of many thousands, millions of people who have those kind of type of creepy podcasts on my phone. You know, I'm all about. Oh, that. I very much enjoy a true crime podcast. And the thing is, I mean, we're going to get into this, but we happen to live only like thirty miles south of all of that. Well, so, and, and even closer in one circ- in one incident. Oh, really? Yeah. About. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we'll get to that when we get there. But I would, yeah, I would say you could ask me about Ted Bundy for a long time. I could also talk about, there's a few TV shows. You could quiz me on MASH and Seinfeld and 30 Rock. And I think I could do pretty good if, in 15 MASH questions. Too? Oh, I love MASH. MASH is so big. MASH Seinfeld is big, is big too. There's so much... Too? to it you know you're totally right i'm being less strategic than you i think although war of the roses give me a break (laughs) yeah that's fair enough (laughs) the 30 rock i'm like okay i get it you know there's a finite number of episodes and maybe seven seasons isn't that much shorter than mash's 11 or 12 yeah i think that that's very impressive i love mash i have not watched it uh since i was a kid actually yeah i um i don't know what it says about me but like I have a favorite colonel. I have opinions on all this stuff, and it's like, um, yeah, yeah, it's kind of that a show is so good. I love Great. that show. Yeah. All right, so we are continuing on in our series in which we take a road trip up I fifteen, and we are going to reach today our first endpoint of this series last time we talked about um the national parks in the middle of utah and arizona and this time we are going to finally reach one of our destinations in the road trip which is salt lake city um but before we talk about salt lake city um we need to backtrack a little bit because there is a landmark along this road trip that we would be so remiss if we did not touch base on this this is a place that um i have been flabbergasted by every single time i've ever seen it race have you driven through this part a lot i can't remember i definitely have yes at least a few times anyone who's been there i think notices how like just jaw dropping it is i don't think it's a place that you can easily forget if you have been there and what we're going to talk about first today is the virgin river gorge so the virgin river gorge is actually a ways back from where we were on our last trip so once you get to las vegas if you keep driving to the northeast 
you'll reach the Virgin River Gorge before you reach Zion National Park. Um, you can also get to the Virgin River Gorge if you go the other direction. So if you head south from Zion and St. George, then you'll get to it um, within a few miles there. And the gorge is formed by the Virgin River in the very northwest corner of Arizona. So weirdly enough, between Las Vegas and St. George, Utah, you go through like 20 minutes of Arizona, and almost all of that 20 minutes is in the Virgin River Gorge. Hmm. So it's formed by the Virgin River, which is one of the upper tributaries of the Colorado River. And the Colorado River goes all over the American Southwest, um, but especially goes through Lake Mead in Las Vegas, and that's dammed up by the Hoover Dam there. And the Colorado River also is one of the longest river systems in the United States. But I just learned this tonight, actually. I, I was mistaken about something about the Colorado River, and I couldn't believe it when I found out that it wasn't true. And that is that a few years ago, I went to Austin, Texas, and Austin has a couple of bridges along the river there. It's like built along kind of like the south end of the downtown. Yeah. And the river is the Colorado River. And you can go to the bridges and Austin is really famous because it has a colony of bats that live under one of the bridges. It's one of the largest bat colonies in the United States. Yeah, I've heard of that. They come out at night and it's like very spectacular and you can see them kind of flying along the, um, the river. I think the superlative that they have is it's the largest urban bat colony in the world, something like that. Uh, very impressive. And everyone's like, wow, look at this beautiful site on the Colorado River. And I was like, this is the Colorado River? And they were like, yeah, it's the Colorado River. And in my head, I'm thinking... This river starts all the way in Utah and Colorado. Like, this is a very long river. All of a sudden, now it's down here in Texas. I was mistaken. The United States actually has multiple Colorado rivers. Oh, yeah. I was very confused. I was, like, scrambling. <laughs> what? <laughs> so this, unfortunately, is not the same Colorado River. That would be bonkers. I think it would be one of the longest rivers in the whole world at that point. But, no, this is... One of at least two. Oh, okay. Um, regardless, though, this Colorado River is one of the longest rivers in the United States. And it drains out, instead of in Texas, it drains out somewhere, I think, kind of in the elbow of Baja California and Mexico. So yep, okay. down that way. Um, and it's famous because of there's especially that one famous photograph of that one ring that the Colorado River forms. You know what I'm talking about? Where it kind of does yeah. like a quick u-turn i can't remember what that place is called i think it's called horseshoe bend you're right yeah 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 i've never been there before i've been there uh, it's pretty cool oh okay very cool also forms the grand canyon very famous river huge landmarks as we've seen and one of them is the virgin river gorge so the virgin river gorge is also unique because you can drive along it on the interstate system <laughs> without ever leaving your car. And this portion of I-15 was, when it was created, probably one of the costliest segments of freeway in the entire interstate system. There is an article from the 1970s that I found, and they used the term $100 an inch. And I don't know if that's accurate, but that is giving you a sense of like, it was extremely costly to create. And it's costly because it goes through a huge gorge in the mountains and follows along it using all kinds of bridges and it goes down and around and it goes up. It has a lot of topography to it. Hmm. Um, instead of, you know, just creating a tunnel or something. And so it's hard to get that much road through that kind of space. Yeah. And that's, it's so funny, the contrast there, because like, it is not hard to drive in a straight line through Nevada. No. <laughs> right? Like, it's really not, right? Yeah. yeah. And so like, there are portions of that I-15, you look at it on a map, and it's just like, oh, yeah. 
they just picked two points and were like, and just said, let's go yeah. driving a perfectly straight line, you know, but then you, yeah, you get to this little corner, this little Canyon. And it's like, and now for some of the most twisty, turny, beautiful, you know, up and down freeway. And then it goes back right. to being boring again. <laughs> right. Exactly. And it comes out of nowhere. There's a couple of ways that I would describe it. Let me know what you think of these. One thing that you can say about going through the Virgin River Gorge is it's kind of like being on a roller coaster. Like, surprisingly, a, a lot of a, like steep climbs and quick drops. You know, the interstate system, I don't think, is usually very treacherous. But this is, if you're not paying attention as a driver, you got to wake up for this segment because yeah. you do need to be really careful when you're driving it. Uh, another way I would think about it is it's kind of like if you're taking a hike in the mountains, but you're in a car while you're doing it. Like, that's another weird thing about it is that you can drive the whole time, you know, just regular. But it's like you're hiking in the mountains. You all of a sudden look around and there's huge cliffs on either side of you. And you can see ledges and you can look out and see the river below you. It's just wild. Um, and then the other thing I would say about it is that it's a huge surprise. Either direction you're going from, I never see it coming when I'm headed that direction. And then all of a sudden it's like you're in it, you know? Yeah. The first time I ever drove it, I didn't know it was coming. And when I was in it, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I was like, where am I right? Like, is this right? You know, because most of the time when you drive on the interstate, it's flat, it's boring, or you're in the middle of civilization or whatever, and there's not much happening. Right. So this is very different from that. Uh, anytime that I drive it now, I always make a point of carving out the time. I think it's so special to drive this segment of I-15. I think it's it's so beautiful. I like to put on some really good music for that segment of the drive and just like really enjoy it uh, because it does take about 20 minutes. So, you know, you're, you're going for a... A little bit of a treat there yeah um and by the way i was surprised to see this but the federal highway administration has a list on their website and the list is special designated areas of the interstate system and the list is called final list of nationally and exceptionally significant features of the federal interstate highway system what Yes. <laughs> and this, by the way, is a very tempting list for someone like me because I love to check off a box and I love to go places to visit. Yeah. Um, so if you would enjoy that kind of thing, be sure you give this list a quick scroll. And I was curious about this list because, first of all, the Virgin River Gorge is on it. But also, I thought, you know, have I ever seen any of the other places on this list? And the quick answer is no, I haven't. Utah doesn't have any features on the list. Virginia doesn't have any features on the list. And Los Angeles doesn't have any features. So there are a lot of places on the list, and I have not been to any of them. And I think it'd be kind of cool to, to see the rest. But for the Virgin River Gorge in particular, what they have written down is... Virgin River Gorge. I-15 through the Virgin River Gorge is a scenic wonder through a 500 million year old gorge. Construction of I-15, which opened in 1973, included rechanneling the Virgin River 12 times. Wow. Somehow, Arizona Highways Magazine said in 1988, construction of I-15 enhanced rather than distracted from nature's handiwork. That's a nice compliment to give. And that's one that I would agree with. I think it's a really a nice thing. And it uh, amplifies the experience in a surprising way that you don't often get with, um, you know, urban infrastructure projects. Yeah. And I think the part of it is like what you've said, the way that it kind of follows the river, and it really does feel like you're like moving with the canyon as opposed to just like, well, we got to get through here. And so you're kind of like, yeah you know blasting through this place it's like it's almost like they were like let's take just one little spot and make it fun <laughs> like we could go around it but let's not you know oh that's not, yeah that's not what they did i don't think but it's that's the feel that it has is like this will just be like the nice detoury part that we're throwing in as a bonus <laughs> of the freeway system right and if i remember right 
there's no tunnels at all on the entire thing. And I think it would have been really tempting to just kind of blast a hole through the mountain at one point. And they never did that. So I think it's really impressive. Okay, so as you travel up I-15, you get the glory of the Virgin River Gorge, and then you go through a lot of, um, as Tyler was pointing out, that list of kind of features on the high, on the freeway system. Under Utah, it says nothing recommended. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's a lot of other things to recommend, but the, the freeway system really is just going to kind of take you through a lot of empty space through southern Utah. It's very beautiful. I enjoy the drive, um, wide open spaces, and it looks nice. Um, but the first city of any consequence you're really going to run into, um, you get to kind of, there's the, the heart of, of Utah where you hit Provo and then Salt Lake City. And so, um, and this is a place Tyler and I have both lived and we have fond memories of. And there is a, a gloriously weird little hidden gem that people from Salt Lake probably know about, but that definitely surprised me when I first learned about it. And it, it was years of living in Salt Lake before I ever noticed this. But Salt Lake City is the home to the first franchise of Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> so the first, in, a, in one sense of it, of it, the first KFC in the world is in Salt Lake City. Not in Kentucky, but in Salt Lake City. So we're going to talk about uh, <laughs> Salt Lake City as home of the very first KFC. Someone, when I was at BYU told me about this and i was like i dismissed it i was yeah. like that can't be correct it sounds like a joke <laughs> yeah and when i was at byu by the way i mean we were in the time of like looking things up on the internet but i wouldn't say that it was entrenched as it is now you know and so sometimes people would just say things that are wrong and i just would dismiss it you know um and then i actually saw it because yeah. you can see it from I-15. Yeah. And when I saw it, I also dismissed it. I was like, that cannot be right. <laughs> <laughs> that has to be a joke. Well, then and the sign. Friend, oh, yeah. The sign you can see from I-15 says world's first KFC. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, is something to that effect? It or? does. Yeah. Uh -huh. And I think my friend who had told me was like, oh, yeah. My dad told me that the first KFC was in Utah, but it was just a joke that he made up. And so okay. we agreed, like, oh, it's not correct. We were wrong. It is the first uh, franchised Kentucky Fried Chicken in yeah. the United States. Uh, it also was the first restaurant called Kentucky Fried Chicken right. because Colonel Sanders' own restaurants weren't called that before he franchised it. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about the Colonel himself and, um, why this restaurant even started in Utah. For sure. Um, so, well, I can, I'll, I'll jump in about the Colonel stuff because, um, this is something that I reserve the right to do a, its own episode on sometime. Um, but now it feels like a good time to talk about the Kentucky Colonels. So mm. Colonel Sanders was a Colonel in one sense, but he was not in the military, or at least that's not where he gets his title of Colonel. <laughs> Kentucky has a funny tradition or is sort of a, it's really what it is, is an old tradition that has lasted in a way that other states haven't kind of kept this up. But the state of Kentucky gives out commissions um, in the way that like, if you watch an old, you know, kind of Regency era or like a, you know, I don't know, a, a Jane Austen era thing, you'll hear about people like, oh, he was given a commission. He's he gets to be an officer. And um, Kentucky does this in an kind of an, in an honorary capacity. You are a, a colonel in Kentucky. Um, there's a lot more detail we could go into, but it's an honorary um, title given to people who have contributed meaningfully to like the culture or have celebrated or have you know in some way lifted up the people and the culture of the state of kentucky <laughs> um it is unique because other states have something similar um or ha there are other states that have similar things like i think louisiana has one 
But this, first of all, it sounds like a military rank. So that makes it kind of special. And it's like, oh, he's a colonel. That's that sounds fancy. Um, and it's also something of a runaway train these days because like hundreds of them are given out every year. So these colonelships or colonel positions or whatever are, um, you know, with all due respect, a little bit devalued now mm-hmm. because all it takes is another person who is a colonel to recommend you. And then if you're approved, you are a Kentucky colonel. And in um, on the Wikipedia page, it quotes a guy who says, I submit dozens of people every year and I've never had anybody be rejected. <laughs> so, and there's been efforts to like, okay, we need to slow this down. There need Turn to be fewer down. people kind of, you know, keep the stock up instead of just diluting it so much. Um, but that's where C- Colonel Sanders gets his colonelness. And he took it pretty seriously. He, um, after he became Colonel, uh, Colonel Sanders, he started wearing like, a suit with tails and you can picture him in his famous white suit. That was like an affect that he put on after he became Colonel. Um, His hair went white before his facial hair did. So he dyed his goatee white to match and he wore the little string ties. And uh, so he really leaned into that. And that's, yeah, that's where we get the Colonel of KFC. I before tonight, I don't think would have thought he was a real person. I thought <laughs> he was mostly a cartoon character. So the fact that he's real at all, I am still surprised by. He's like like Count Chocula. Like Count, Count Chocula <laughs> and Colonel Sanders. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Captain Crunch. Right. But um, while Captain Crunch's reality is still unknown, we don't know if Captain Crunch is a real person. We do know that Colonel Sanders is a real person. Sure. Maybe one day we'll find out the truth about Captain Crunch. <laughs> <laughs> He's a captain, but only in Minnesota. Only in Minnesota. <laughs> so Colonel Sanders um, did come up with a recipe for fried chicken that was is the recipe that they still use today. So I think it's kind of cool that he was like the chef behind this delicious chicken i mean i like kfc i think it tastes great um and so he came up with this original recipe and they say the original recipe has 11 herbs and spices and colonel sanders would tell people it has salt and it has pepper and it has nine things in it that are on everybody's shelf so he wouldn't tell anybody what the rest was but he said it's just common ingredients that everybody has The recipe is not patented because if it was patented, they would have to publish it in detail. And instead, KFC protects the recipe as a trade secret. Mm -hmm. So that way they don't have to tell anybody what's in it. There is a copy of the recipe signed in Colonel Sanders' own handwriting. And it's locked in a safe along with um, vials of the ingredients. And when he was working at his own restaurant, his daughter said that he wrote the ingredients in the recipe above the door jam of the kitchen Okay, because no one else would think to look there. And she said, if anything ever happens to him, I'm the only person who's going to know where to look for the recipe because (laughs) it was above the door jam. Oh, that's funny. When they make the mixture of the spices today kfc has two separate companies make two separate halves of the mixture and then they combine them to preserve the secrecy so that very few people i mean i don't know how many people there are who know the exact mixture but even the companies who are making the mixture don't know the full truth of it you know what i mean because they're making two separate halves that's really fun oh yeah very wild um it's making me want some kfc now. Uh, it's making me want some too honestly it sounds really good um well, people awesome. have tried to recreate the recipe um and i think you can find copycat recipes that kind of hint at what ingredients are in it but in theory no one knows the uh the true recipe except anyone who has access to the safe wow um well i'll say lucky for us if we are hankering for some kfc um it is widely franchised and the colonel is actually credited with kind of seizing on this idea of the franchise oh 
So like, I think, I don't think he was the first person to do it, but he really ran with it and was like, yeah, I make my fried chicken, but what if I taught people how to make it and I yeah. you know, license it out to them and then you go make it anywhere you want. Um, so he sort of seized on that idea and um, kind of popularized that notion of like fast food or a restaurant going mm. national in that way. And so that's, you know, in one way, that's kind of how it got to Utah. But can you answer the question, like, how specifically did it get to Utah? Yes. And the answer is so weird because that's the thing is like, you know, it's one thing nowadays for interstate commerce, wink, um, to show up because, you know, it's kind of easy to travel nowadays or it's easy for ideas to go places Hmm. but this is like 1930s america how did colonel sanders who was born in southern indiana kentucky how did he ever even meet anybody from utah you know what i mean yeah (laughs) Uh, and the answer to that is he made a friend from utah and they met at a restaurant convention in (laughs) chicago illinois okay (laughs) and because they were at a convention then they traveled far and wide to be there he meets a friend the friend happens to be from utah and is interested in opening the restaurant and that's how it goes out to utah and the friend came up with the name for the restaurant he almost named it utah fried chicken but he thought kentucky had a more southern kind of welcoming feel to it sure um the friend came up with a lot of stuff i think the friend came up with the idea for like a bucket meal that you can throw everything in the bucket and it's got your coleslaw and your gravy and your biscuits etc so that was the friend um but that's how it traveled (laughs) halfway across the country from kentucky to utah i still am just like floored by that that's so fun i mean i am not a huge fan of ufc fighting <laughs> but if he had named it otherwise then i think i'd be you know i'd be a huge ufc fan utah yeah, chicken, maybe. that's awesome <laughs> um well one other thing that i'll add to this as i was reading about this and kind of thinking about it i think um it's really interesting the position that kfc kind of holds nationally or internationally sorry um mm. it's very so first of all fried chicken travels well And the reason why is because fried chicken is delicious. (laughs) It's also not, um, so it it basically, it's easy for it to become popular in other countries. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also doesn't, it doesn't involve pork. It doesn't involve beef, both of which are going to have like religious restrictions in other parts of the world. Oh, true. Chicken doesn't have that. Chicken can be halal. It's kosher. You know, like you can kind of go do your thing anywhere with it in a way that you know, other foods, maybe you can't so much. Um, and it's just such a simple food that it's, it quickly gains popularity. And most places have kind of their own, like everybody has figured out by the time we get to the 20th century, like chicken is delicious and you can cook a chicken in many ways. And this is one of them. And so KFC Mm. is actually very popular and it's kind it's, I think it, we don't maybe realize how iconic it is of like emblematic of the united states in other Mm. places like i think a lot of people really associate the united states with kfc um in a way that we might not expect like what are the image what pops in your head when you think of the united states and it's i've read some stuff about this and like people strongly associate kfc with the united states which i think is really interesting yeah, wouldn't um, we say McDonald's maybe before KFC? I think McDonald's probably does come before. And actually, um, I was reading a Forbes article about the most popular, um, or at least, you know, depending on how you define that, um, fast food. So McDonald's is the most um, well, far spread. So there are 18,000 okay. McDonald's, uh, oh, international wow. McDonald's restaurants. Okay. But a close second at almost 12,000 is KFC. So it's not Burger King, it's not, you know, Subway, it's not Pizza Hut or Starbucks, it's KFC is number two. And that kind of surprises me, but I, you know, it's an image that persists for people who are experiencing that as kind of a uh, an American export um, and as kind of a, a an emblematic example. So, for instance, with the Russian invasion of Ukraine, there's all this pressure for corporations to pull out of russia as kind of a sign of disapproval for their invasion of ukraine 
and um and actually kfc hasn't pulled out of russia and it's a bit of a controversy but there are more fat in terms of fast food there's more k there are more kfc restaurants in russia than any other brand there's more k more kfcs than mcdonald's or whatever other you know kind of western um fast food they have their kfc is the highest number in um russia and so it's doing great internationally i think it does fine here too but um it really is kind of it's one of our our gleaming exports for people and i'm fine being known as the people who have good fried chicken <laughs> don't you remember i mean i felt like in guatemala the kfcs were so fancy oh, yeah i couldn't believe how fancy they were and how popular it was because mm-hmm. like i said i would have thought maybe mcdonald's was more but KFC, I think, was considered like a a night out, honestly, because yeah. it was really fancy, but it was also really good. And their family, I mean, we're just advertising for <laughs> KFC at this point, but like their family built meals, I yeah. do think work really well. Because, you know, sure. you just you just point to the bucket and say, let's get that. And it has everything in it. Yeah. You know? Well, KFC, feel free to send send your two oh, yes. biggest fans some buckets of chicken. <laughs> <laughs> please do yeah but yeah next time you're on the uh on the i-15 you can stop at the first kfc in the country it's right there you don't even have to like go very far from i-15 at all you'll just you'll see it Okay, as we move up I-15 and we're now in Salt Lake, um, Tyler and I, as we were discussing what other things we could include on this road trip, we're kind of scratching our heads. One of the things I was thinking about including, I'll give it a quick shout out, is um, <laughs> the uh, Lehigh Roller Mills, the like the grain mills there in Lehigh that you oh. can also see from I-15. Can you picture those? Yeah, that's where uh, Jeremy used to live. I mean, not next to the mills, but I've seen them. Yeah, um, that's where Kevin Bacon's uh, famous dance scene from Footloose and oh. several things from Footloose were filmed is right there. Oh, nice. I've never seen Footloose. What? Oh, you should see Footloose. Footloose is a good movie. Um, but yeah, there's like the famous scene where he's like dancing in this like industrial kind of vaguely, you know, empty warehouse space and he's dancing at the Lehigh Roller Mills, um, which is pretty funny. So if you're on a road trip, say hi to the Lehigh Roller Mills, and then you're just like 20 minutes away from that KFC or 15 minutes. You're, you're <laughs> close. You're real close. Um, but the thing that both of us kind of agreed, we were like, you know what we could include on this list of a discussion <laughs> of Salt Lake and its history? Uh, the horrific murderer, Ted Bundy. <laughs> that shows you where our head is at. Well, we separately came up with this idea. <laughs> well, and mine specifically, when we were like, okay, who should talk about what? I was like, I'll take Ted Bundy. <laughs> I've been waiting all my life for this. I've been waiting for this. Um, so we've we've kind of in not I wouldn't say intentionally, but we don't really dabble too much in the true crime on this podcast. There's plenty of that to go around, um, but we're going to get into it for a little bit there. So if you don't want to hear about you know young college girls getting murdered, which that's totally fine, maybe this last section isn't for mm-hmm. you. Um, but we're going to talk about Ted Bundy. So Ted Bundy is one of the most famous serial killers in American um, history. He's not the most prolific serial killer, although he kind of holds that space in people's minds. People are like, oh, well, he's like the worst one. And there's reasons for that, which we can kind of talk about. Um, He has there are 20 uh, murders that are confirmed to be attributed to him there. He confessed to at least 30. So 10 more that we can say, well, he said he did that. But when we can't actually prove that tie it to a specific murder victim but there's but he's suspected of having con, um committed many more than that um 36 or some numbers or even higher um it's always hard to tell with this kind of stuff especially somebody like ted bundy who was very charismatic loved to give interviews and was prone to exaggerate and do all sorts of crazy things so you know at one point he said it was in the triple digits the amount of people he'd killed which is almost certainly not true um but we know that we're talking you know dozens of people basically um as an overview of him he was kind of an or he's kind of considered an outlier or one of the reasons people are drawn maybe to his story is he was a young man who was doing this and he was very attractive and charismatic like if you look at the pictures of him at the time he was you know fashionable and kind of a, a handsome man and um 
he was also very well adjusted. So a lot of times when people think of serial killers, especially before this time period, you know, if in 1960 or whatever you said, tell me about a murder who's killed a lot of people, it'd be like, well, he's the old creepy, you know, that kind of an Ed Gain type person. He lives with his mom and he's never left his farm. And if you break down on the side of the road, he's going to get you. Um, but Ted Bundy really departs from that. And I think we're kind of coming to a realization now that people who act in this way don't really fit in one box. Mm. Um, but I think we kind of like to imagine them all as creepy, creepy weirdos. And then Ted Bundy's this outlier. He was handsome and he had, you know, kind of all the advantages in the world. He was smart. He'd gone to college and yet he still ended up killing all these people. Um, Ted Bundy definitely had a pro a victim profile that he stuck to pretty rigidly. He essentially only murdered young white females, kind of attractive young women. Um, and specifically investigators early on noticed a lot of these women have very similar hairstyles. Um, a part down the middle of the hair was kind of his MO for a while among different um, agencies that were investigating him. He's the man who's killing these women with center parted hair, which sure. is strange and, and, and disturbing. Um, he targeted college campuses um, he was, you know, had all these nicknames like the sorority slaughter or whatever. Um, and another thing that about him that made him very scary and unique was that he used trickery to lure his victims. So he did that in a few ways. Um, so he didn't, you know, typically he didn't come up behind you in the in an alley and drag you away. But what he would do is he'd approach somebody and say he'd have a fake cast. This was one of his um, his methods he'd have a fake cast in crutches and he had his car and he would say hey i'm hurt and i need to get this box into the back of my car can you help me and he'd ask a young woman and she'd say sure and she'd walk over and bend over to pick up the box set it in the back of his car and then he would force her in and close the door hmm. and um so yeah pretty unsavory stuff a little a dark note for the podcast but we're going there um, so that's Ted Bundy. It, it's a very compelling story. And I think that's borne out by the fact that we're constantly making movies about him and talking about him. And I will actually recommend that. I think it was like 2018 or 2019 movie that they made that I thought was really well done. It's a Netflix movie. Um, it's got Zach. Um, oh, shoot. Which Zach is it? The guy from uh, High School Musical. Zach Efron? <laughs> Zach Efron. Yeah, he plays uh, Ted Bundy, and I think he does a great job. Whoa. I did yeah. not know about this. You should go watch it. One of my favorite things about it is there is not a, a hint of violence in the whole movie. Oh, interesting. It doesn't yeah. depict any of his, you know, it's it's very good. It's really more about his wife. Um, okay. anyway, it's great. It's called Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile, which is a quote from one of the judges that sentenced him. Hmm. Um, and anyway, so it's a very compelling story. He was also very prolific in the amount of the places where he operated. So he killed young women in Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Utah, Colorado, and Florida. And part of the kind of sad story history about Ted Bundy is the fact that he almost certainly would have been caught a lot earlier if we just had better communication. Um, mm. This was one of the things that kind of encouraged law enforcement agencies to share information better, to think about how that could get them ahead. So, like, you know, there starts to be these these women who are being violently killed two or three in a year in Washington. And they're like, huh, that is this feels like a pattern. And then it would disappear for a year or two. And so they'd kind of cool off on the investigation. And he was intentionally doing that. He would strike in Washington when the heat kind of got on, he would go to Utah and um, he was intentionally moving to not, you know, he didn't, he didn't want to draw attention to himself or his hometown or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so fascinating stuff. Um, related to Utah, there are at least six women from Utah that Ted Bundy killed um, or attempted to kill. There's actually one of the few Ted Bundy survivors um, was in Utah. Oh, so wow. the cities that we're talking about here, all of these basically are along uh, um, the I-15. So we're talking Midvale, Lehigh, Murray, Bountiful, and Pro. Yes, all of them. <laughs> that is all along the I-15, which isn't an accident. He, um, you know, w was known to transport 
women before he buried them in order to throw off, um, you know, suspicion. And so that's not really not an accident. Um, interestingly, Ted Bundy was never tried or convicted for any murder in Utah. Weird. Despite the fact that we have, you know, um, he definitely um, killed six in Utah. And there are at least three others that I think are pretty obvious that he also was involved in. Oh. Um, so, you know, n- up to nine and maybe more women in Utah. And he was never charged um, or convicted, mostly because they really just got him in Florida on a case that was rock solid and he was given the death penalty there. And so that was sort of the end of it. Hmm. Um, there's two stories in particular that are very sad, but um, are are interesting to hear about um, from Utah. So the first is Nancy Wilcox. Nancy Wilcox uh, was 16 when she was murdered by Ted Bundy. Um, she was abducted from Holiday, Utah. And Ted Bundy, towards the end of his life, they were asking him, like, hey, we would, would really like to be able to tell these families, identify, you know, where their loved ones are buried. Can you help us with that? And he was very manipulative and he would give some information and try to, like, jockey for better treatment and try to prolong his death sentence, you know. So anyway, and so sometimes he gave good information, sometimes he gave bad. But for her, he said, she is buried close to Capitol Reef National Park. Or no, I think it's a state park, not a national park. I might be wrong about that. Jeremy. No, it's a national it. park. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. I was right. Um, and he gave pretty detailed instructions, but her remains have never been found. Um, nice. And the, um, the second victim is Susan Curtis. She was only 15 years old and she was abducted from BYU campus. Wow. Um, and she was likewise hasn't been found. She was buried in Price, Utah, which is not on the I-15, but is on the route that I always took getting from Eager up to Provo. So I drove through Price dozens and dozens of times when I was at BYU. But um, from what we know about the Susan Curtis abduction story, um, she was there for a conference, like a youth conference. And she was at a, a, a ball like a dance in the Wilkinson center, which is kind of the main hub of campus. It's like the administration building and where all that kind of stuff is. And then she walked over to the dorms, which Tyler, did you live in like the Helaman hall dorms when you were there? Yeah. Was it those dorms? That's where she was staying. And so on her way between those two buildings, she disappeared. She never made it back to her dorm when her roommates, the people she was staying with um, for that week got back. They were like, she's not here. And so somewhere along the route. Um, oh, it was on that hill. Yeah. You remember? Oh. Yeah. And so terrifying. the the idea is that she was probably, and maybe even Ted Bundy said this, the idea is that there's like park, and it's changed quite a bit. I think it would probably be fairly unrecognizable to us now. Like the sidewalks go different places and stuff. Oh, but okay. but um, it did go generally the path that you're imagining, Tyler. You're right. And um, the idea is that he probably approached her on the sidewalk and said, I need help with my car. Mm. And he had his arm in a sling or had his leg in a cast. Um, and I think, like I said, I think he might've even said as much. And he also said, um, she's buried in price and she has also um, never been found. But I will point out, so you lived even closer than that, but this abduction took place about a mile from the apartment that you and I shared in Provo. Jeez. Um, yeah. So very, very close to home. <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. So very, very sad. Um, you know, I feel I feel kind of exposed to the fact that I'm like, and I love reading about this. <laughs> uh, but I just do. I'm also I'm also perpetually asking when I find people who are in, as interested in this stuff as me, I'm also perpetually asking, why are we so interested in this? Yeah. And I think for me, and I'd love to hear your thoughts, Tyler, but I think for me, the answer is it's the same reason that I will stop and watch Usain Bolt sprint or Lance Armstrong ride a bike. Like I could never do that, but to know that a human, Mm. it's just like the outer limits of what human, of what humanity is capable of. This is obviously in a deplorable and kind of awful direction, but it it draws my attention because it's, it's still there. And it's like, this is a person, this was, he went to law school. He was accepted he was accepted to the law school that I almost went to. Like he went to the university of Utah law school and he was like, just a guy. He would have, I might've hung out with him. He could have been a roommate, you know, like he wasn't. And that's how all of these people are like, it was a person. They had parents and they were just a person who, um, 
had it in them or this is where their life went. My life obviously is nowhere near that. And I think that's where the interest lies is like how different, how far kind of a field of what is accepted as human behavior people can go. And that's compelling. I think that's why I'm drawn to this stuff. And it's, it's interesting to me. Yeah. Don't you think that, um, I mean, not to generalize too much, but I, I feel like sometimes I catch myself treating people as though they're exactly the same as me and that we all have the same value systems and that we were raised Mm -hmm. the same way and that we think the same mindsets. Yep. And you realize that's really not true at all. There's a lot of variety in the human experience, but it's especially not true for people like Ted Bundy because like you said, it's like if you had said, is it possible to run under a four minute mile? Is it possible to murder 30 or 30 women in the Utah Valley? I would have said no to both. Like, yeah, nobody, nobody like, could ever do neither that. Neither one of those can be done. And yet both of them were done, you know? Yeah. Um, but I, I definitely find these stories spooky, but also fascinating from that sense. And like, it's like, what if I had come across him? You know, would yeah. I have noticed that something was wrong with him or would I just have been duped like everybody else, you know? Yeah, great I question. Think especially with the serial killer catalog, a lot of those guys were weirdos that had it, you know, kind of For sure. plastered across their faces. But I guess Ted Bundy was not. No. And uh, so like I that movie I mentioned really kind of focuses on his wife's journey to accepting that this is all this stuff is true this was someone that she knew yeah and you know shared a bed with for years yeah and and she didn't know and um yeah really that's that's a that's a great point like would i have been taken in um and you know there were people you know pretty far into the process at a certain point it became undeniable that this guy was a monster and he of course admitted it at a certain point but when he was defending himself throughout the process, there were huge contingents of people who were like, this is not character witnesses. Oh yeah. Like this, this can't be the Ted that we know there's been some horrible mistake. And so, um, yeah, definitely fascinating, kind of crazy that there's a connection to, you know, not only Salt Lake, but little old Provo. (laughs) Um, and you know, I would much rather have dwell on, kfc and the virgin river gorge than uh ted bundy it's a more uplifting thought so um next time you're going through utah you, your mind can wander to ted bundy but really you should stick to the kfc and the virgin river gorge. <laughs> well and we contain multitudes here on the That's podcast true. we're here to provide the tapestry of human experience correct Thanks so much for listening and tune in next time for our 75th episode. Talk to you soon.